Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Justin Schrader. Hi. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community, and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Claybo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET-focused or Microsoft-focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv-style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net. .NET is spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T. Adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. For those who aren't aware of who you are and how awesome you are, could you introduce yourself and kind of explain <laughs> how you got into programming? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my name's uh, Justin Schrader. Probably like most of the people listening to your podcast, I'm a software engineer, I guess. I don't know. Those terms are kind of confusing. Some people call them web developers. I think engineer sounds like slightly more glorified, so I'm going to go with that term. I like um, it. I, man, got into programming. I'm 32 this year, which means I just marked 20 years of doing web development. <laughs> I started roughly when I was 12. So it's just kind of been a long, long, slow burn. Used to love doing it as a kid. And I got like a little scholarship to college for some website I had built. And I, and so I decided that I must know enough about this thing to not do it in college. <laughs> and so I just, I, I, I like put it down and was like, I can always come back to that later. Right. And I went and actually became a pilot for several years and like had a brief career flying planes. And then uh, when I got married, I decided this is like literally the worst possible career you could ever have as a spouse. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to go back to that old childhood passion of, of programming. So that was about eight years ago now. Um, so I've been doing this like, you know, full time professionally for about eight years. Yeah. And view view has been part of that story since like maybe right after view two came out sometime in there. I used to, I used to dabble with react and, you know, obviously like everybody else, the, the jQueries of the world and all of that stuff. But yeah, once I got onto view, I kind of haven't looked back too much. I still occasionally pick up react projects, but the quality of life for a view developer is just significantly better in my opinion. I mean, Hey, it's a view podcast, right? So I can say that. You can say anything you want like that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yes. Uh, I was going to say now I am a partner at an agency called braid, but the reason I'm here talking to you is because of uh, a library that I authored recently called uh, view formulate, which is trying to be like a, a comprehensive form building library. Um, that's really easy to pick up and you can actually use it on a daily basis without, you know, feeling guilty about it. So that's me. Cool. I'm, I'm curious before we dive into view formulate, uh, you started around when you were 12 and you said it's about 20 years. Uh, were you primarily just HTML, CSS at the time? Did you dive into the back end at all? So yeah, right when I started, it was a, you know, HTML only world, very inline attributes, all your styling is inline attributes. And then I decided at one, like one summer I came home and this is when I was a high schooler and I was like, this summer I'm gonna learn this whole CSS thing and I'm gonna learn a backend language and I'm gonna learn SQL. And so that's, I just like locked myself in my room and learned all of those tools. And so, yeah, my introduction to backend was 2003, 2004. It was still relatively early days when you actually look at the timeline of, of those languages. You know, PHP hadn't been around that much before that. 
so yeah, I mean, I, I would consider myself full stack. Um, I've done PHP and obviously a lot of Node nowadays, and some some Java in there too, actually. Although that's been that was years ago. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's dramatically different since you said you work on that. <laughs> yeah, Java is is definitely a thing. <laughs> Not, not my favorite. It is, a whole can, it is a whole can of worms, isn't it? Yeah. But again, luckily we're a view podcast, so we don't need to worry about how... Uh... We're, a view, we're a view podcast. <laughs> yeah. so, it's interesting. We had, we had a similar arc there. I started around 12 or 13 in, in that same time awesome, period yeah. working with HTML. By, by the suggestion of a math teacher, I started learning CSS and playing with divs and spans instead of just doing table mm. layouts. And then I built a, a community website that would eventually be PHP and MySQL. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I held off even like adopting a framework forever because they're, you know, those early, early days, there hardly were any, you know, there hardly were any mm-hmm. frameworks or anything like that. And finally, somebody talked me to using CodeIgniter. And so I used CodeIgniter for several projects. And then it just became really apparent that it was, was it Ellis Labs that made that? But they were starting to abandon that that PHP framework, and I started bouncing around on IRC channels, being like, "Well, what do I do? Like, I can tell this is dying. I don't want to be on a dying ship." And somebody was like, "Hey, there's this like totally unknown project that you might want to check out called Laravel. It like maybe it maybe it's going to be like the next thing. We're not really sure, but it seems cool. It looks a lot like .NET." I'm like, "I don't know." That sounds terrible. <laughs> so, I mean, like a lot of people, that's ultimately what got me into Vue was mm-hmm. this kind of Laravel connection, which is is so weird. It's so weird how many people were ushered into Vue through a backend framework, but it, it is the way it is. Yeah, and, and that's part of why I ask about backend. Uh, we hear a lot of that uh, from the guests that we have. They, they came in from yeah. the Laravel community into, PA, in, or into Vue from PHP. Yeah, definitely. I mean... For me, it was a breath of fresh air because I had been doing React paired with other backends. And I, I was not like, I didn't hate React. I thought it was a tremendous leap forward from <laughs> what we were doing before. But it also feel felt really dogmatic about its approach to things. You know, like how even to this day, there are just like vast numbers of features of Vue that are missing in React. And it's not that they're, you can't do them in React. It's that they are objectionable within that ecosystem. So they have a really strong pattern of higher order components where in view, that's a much weaker pattern because we have things like plugins, which really right. don't, don't exist. So uh, being able to like write your software the way you want it to seems more possible in the view ecosystem. You don't have to adapt your patterns quite as much to the pattern of the framework, which is a positive mm-hmm. and definitely a negative as well. But that's what ultimately won me over. Very cool. Awesome. So at this point, let's let's move forward with our topic for the day, which is view formulate. And I'll let, I'll let you describe it, and then I've got some uh, some questions around it. Totally. So view formulate is a view plugin that I started writing. It's a it's a it's a, like a long journey. I originally wrote a plugin to basically get form input data into UX, and I thought that this was like a a real problem. I saw a lot of people trying to get data into UX and I kept wanting to do it. And so I, I wrote this thing that allowed you to just easily create a form input element. You could tell it what type it was. And then it would kind of like magically bind itself to 
getters and setters, uh, well, you know, mutations in Vuex. Mm -hmm. And we actually shipped that on several production products and we loved it, except for the Vuex part of it, <laughs> <laughs> which was the whole point of writing it. And the reason we loved it is that it came with like such an easy API to use when you are actually composing the form. So as mm -hmm. we're writing the form, you would just say, okay, I want a form element and I want it to be a text. I want it to be a checkbox. I want it to be a whatever. And you didn't have to like, you know, go look at the Bufy documentation or whatever framework you were choosing because it mapped really closely to HTML. I, I, I kind of like to say that it, it like smooths out the inconsistencies in HTML. You know, if you want a text area, the markup for a text area is actually different than for an input um, or for a select list or something like that. And so while those inconsistencies are there for good reason in HTML, this basically allows you to have your cake and eat it too. It kind of keeps a really constant API across the board. And so when we decided to like revisit this whole concept of formulate, we said, well, let's throw that whole UX thing in the trash. Uh, not that UX is trash, UX is, is great, um, but let's, let's put that binding in the trash. And instead let's focus on creating like a really elegant way to compose library or form elements. And when I say we, I'm talking about um, me and some of the other guys that I, I was working with at the time at, at Braid. And so the result is view formulate 2.0. It technically is under the term 2.0, even though really only released it publicly March, I think maybe March. It has not been very long. It's only been, it's only been a matter of, of a few months. So yeah, we, we put it out there in March and, and basically the, the selling point is you've got only two components that you need to learn. There's a formulate input and then a formulate form. And all of your inputs are composed with those two elements. So all of your inputs are formulate inputs and then you can choose to wrap those inputs in a formulate form, but it's not a requirement. So if you just wanna have a text field on there for some reason, just put it on there. And then it, it allows you to you know, very easily be model and you can listen to events on it just like you would a standard one, but it comes kind of with a turbocharged prop API. So it's we call it a component first API, which means your like a, a lot of your configuration and stuff like that is, is baked into the initial default components out of the box. And so if you wanna do things like put a label on the field, you just add a label prop and you get a label element rendered with it with a proper ID that's binding the two together for things like accessibility. So those kinds of things get to come out of the box. But then it, you know, it goes a little bit further because we have a validation library that's baked into the system. So if you want to validate that input on the front end, you just add a prop that says validation and you can type out your validation rules. Kind of this, uh, it's almost like a Laravel-esque kind of syntax. But the, the default state is that it'll take care of rendering your errors for you, doing the validation for you, putting out error messages that are even internationalized. I think we've got like, it's been, the, the messages have been translated into like 12 or 13 languages now. So yeah, so you don't have to, like a lot of, there's a lot of great libraries for forms in the Vue ecosystem. Um, but I typically see they're either, either very high level, so you're talking like a beautify, or very low level, like a be validate or something like that, where it's like you you provide everything, we will validate the form field. And this is, it's not the only one, but it's one of the only ones that, that I'm aware of where it's kind of like, we're not a UI library. <laughs> 
at all. Right. So you don't even ship with styles. We have a default theme if you want to use it, but we don't even ship with styles. And also we're not, uh, we don't, we actually don't even want you to write scope slots. So that's not the preferred way of using it, which is I think pretty unique. <laughs> uh, scope slots is like the, the golden, it's like the golden child in the view ecosystem for extensibility. And we- Yeah, it's kind, clear, kind of the, the, the um, thing to do right now. It's the, it's the thing to do. We have tons of slots. Don't get me wrong. Like you can use slots all day long, <laughs> long. But we actually want to dissuade people from using it that way because it leads to like a, a, a pretty obtuse form in the way like when you actually go and like look at your template for a given form, it's it gets kind of hard to read. You know, you've got all these, you know, injection. I mean, it's, it's better than maybe like render props and react, but it's still pretty verbose. And so what often will happen is people will, you know, compose their scope slots the way they want, and then they'll wrap that in a higher order component. That'll be the thing that they use in their API. But from our perspective, it, it actually, that comes with a number of downsides. You've got a whole bunch of components now um, for your forms that you got to remember about. You have to, in those higher order components, you need to remember to like pass the bindings back down through to the child. So if you've got a formulate input inside of a higher order component, we have, you know, you have to remember that you got to pass all those props through um, and the list of props might change over time. So you could do some sort of a dynamic binding situation, but it's just like one more step in there. And then it, it when you, when it comes to things like form generation, which is another thing that we formulate tackles, it kind of throws a wrench in, in that whole system too, because you have a, now you have an inconsistent schema for how you're going to be rendering your inputs. So, yeah, I'm going on a deep dive here, I suppose, on slots at this point. But <laughs> you're good. It, this is actually this is actually a pretty unique thing I think about you formulate. So we what we came up with as an alternative to this because we do want to be super customizable is this concept of of slot components. And I don't know if this is if anybody else out there does this or has thought about this, but the way that we talk about slot components is a slot component is basically like the default inside of a slot. So if you imagine you have a slot for, you know, like your default slot or something, you just got the slot tag inside of a component, you can optionally replace what the default is. So normally when you define like a, a slot inside of it, you can write whatever will render there if somebody doesn't define the slot in the parent, you know, and that's kind of like the default rendering of that area. So what we let you do is define what goes inside of that default. So for example, like the label on all of the inputs across view formula, let's say you build a whole site with view formula and somebody comes along, your boss comes along and says, it'd be really nice to have a tooltip on the labels across the board. It's like, well, shoot, view formula doesn't support that. <laughs> what are we going to do? And even if you formally did support that and it, all it did was support slots, then you would have to go through and add that slot to every instance of an input or wrap it in a higher order component, get all the pass-throughs working, and then go implement that higher order component everywhere throughout. So instead, what we can do with a slot component is you write a component for the label that takes a big context object, which is defined in the documentation, has all of the information about what goes into actually making one of these inputs render things like, you know, what's the label, what's the validation state, all of that kind of stuff. And then, so 
and then you can define, you, you receive that as a prop, and then you also receive any additional props you want to receive from the top level. So in the tooltip example, you could say, hey, I would like my component to receive a prop called tooltip text. And then you're, you would write this component, that would be the label, and you just tell view formulate, hey, when you render a label, I want you to use my component instead. And when you do that, then your component will become the default label for all formulate inputs across the board. You can still override that then too with a scope slot if you need to in your one instance or whatever. That's kind of a unique thing I think is like we're, we want you to use scope slots whenever you need to do like an instance by instance override instead of a, you know, like a global override for, <laughs> for the whole application. So, so in a way uh, you're almost building yeah. your own input component, right? Because you're, you're take if you need to, yeah. you can take all these different pieces that you've made yourself, put it, put it together, just the, just the overrides that you want. And yeah. then view formulate handles the rest. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the question would be obvious, like, why would you bother using view formulate if you're just going to write your own label components anyway? And it's like, well, cause there's a lot of other stuff there, right? It's like validation, mm -hmm. you know, there's repeating field groups, there's, you know, multi-languages, there's form generation. There's a lot of other stuff that makes it worth it, but yeah, you get, you get to replace any piece and part that you want in order to create your own, your own library. Yeah, so I mean that's the that's the like really high level of of why it's great. I I think it's great, obviously, and it's you know like I said, it's pretty new since March, and so we kind of threw it out there. And I I don't know, I I had released a lot of open source stuff in the past, but it was always like relatively like small potatoes and mostly just like me and whatever I was writing, <laughs> no like terrible documentation. And so on this one, we decided like, well, let's actually like write some legit docs for this and like see if anybody else uses it. And amazingly, people actually found this really useful and it started kind of catching on. So, I mean, it's still a, a small player compared to a lot of the other libraries that are out there. But I think we just, I think we might've just passed like uh, 1100 stars, which feels good for a few months in now. Yeah, so. it looks like you've got uh, 1,101 stars. And one star. And <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, <laughs> it does and i'll admit I'm, I'm one of those people that would love to use this i i started a project in april that was using tailwind and mm. one of the main issues i was running into because it's you know it's an application for business primary use is entering data secondary use is then reading the data but you got to put it in the data in the first place and i i was just using tailwind and my own my own custom elements and everything and it's just this is frustrating. This is complex. You need to add all of these different pieces. And luckily, I wasn't worrying about internationalization. It's for a single small business, a single language. But there does still need to be validation. There does still need to be a specific structure to the inputs, certain required fields, certain optional fields, things like that. And I actually had to shift over to Beautify to, to get what I yeah. was looking for. So I, I really wish I had seen this at the time from your March release. So that I could have implemented something like this. It seems exactly what I needed. Yeah, I I hope it would have met those needs. And it's been really cool too, as it started to catch on, we've picked up a lot of things from the community about we want to do this and this. And like I was saying earlier about Vue, one of the things that I love about that ecosystem in general is they seem to, core maintainers seem to want to go where developers have needs. 
instead of saying, here's a pure and beautiful framework. And, and like our idea about this framework is really good. So you should try to conform your pattern to this framework. And obviously view has like some dogma about like, you know, or, you know, doctrine about like, you should do things this way, of course. But in general, like if the, if the community is really wanting a given feature, they'll implement it, you know, like they will. And, and like, if people are confused about how to use it with Laravel or whatever other framework, you know, express, like the community seems to do a really good job in, in, in like bridging that gap. And I think mm -hmm. that's actually pretty unique in open source. It sounds crazy, but I actually think, you know, after doing this for 20 years, it's actually pretty unique in open source. There is a certain amount of like, you know, benevolent dictatorship that happens in these open source projects. And mm -hmm. I really didn't want to do that, you know, because I know my use cases for view formulate, but I don't know how you would have used it on your project. And probably like your ideas, as long as we can keep the file sizes small and keep the package size from just bloating, we should try to make it as easy as possible for all of these different use cases. And so Tailwind came directly out of the community because I'm not a Tailwind user whatsoever. <laughs> mm, okay. um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like anti-Tailwind or anti-Tailwind people, but I, I'm, a, I'm an old schooler in that I actually... I actually think that CSS uh, as a concept is really cool. And uh, the, the, I actually like the cascade, mm -hmm. but I totally get that people don't. And so I wasn't going to like stand on a high horse on this and, and be like, no, thou shalt not use Tailwind with this project. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went on a, a pretty deep dive to make sure that if you use Tailwind with Vue Formulate, your life will be as paved and as smooth as possible. And, a lot, and yeah, I wrote an article about it, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of ironic because I, I don't actually use Tailwind in my day to day. And that, I think there's a lot of people now that are using it with Tailwind. So yeah, I think, I think that that's really cool. And I'd love to, I'd love to keep the package in that kind of a place where, you know, if we see that like developers want to use it in a particular way, we're not afraid to figure out a way to address that, that need. So yeah, classes are, Classes are maybe one of the biggest problems with these component-first APIs. You know, when your com component is bringing a lot of DOM to the table, then it's it makes it challenging for people to be able to apply classes to whatever they want. You know, because the formulate input's got the label inside of it, it's got help text inside of it, it's got the actual inputs inside of them. It has a wrapper around the inputs, which is used in case you want to do like like, you know, pretty select lists or things like that, you, you often need a wrapper immediately around that one. So it com comes with that out of the box. It, it comes with errors and a list of errors and all of that markup ships out of the box. So when you need to modify a class on one of those internal elements, you're, you know, traditionally out of luck. So we came up with a Really, I think it's really, I'm super biased, I'm mega biased, but a really robust way to be able to target any element within, like any element within View Formulate and say, I want to modify the class on that element. And you can do it with props, or you can do it at a global configuration level, or you can do it with slots. But basically, you get to modify any piece and part within the system, with, with classes at least. Yeah. So, Tailender is welcome. Come on in. The water's warm. <laughs> okay.
Yeah, I, I really like how you did this, where you can either use, like you said, you could either use props, you could use a, a slot, or you could do it at the global configuration. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially for yeah. something like, like you're saying, if you formulate, it's not an entire component framework of any sort. It's just, it's just focusing on form and input elements. And then I think it makes That's a ton right. of sense that you can just configure that as you're bringing it into view or as you're using it in a particular location. That's, I think that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. And there's even one other way, which is kind of less discussed, but technically there's like this base classes override that you can do as well. So all of the classes that ship with view formulate are generated by one function. And that function is passed a context object for every element. And it says, basically, give me the, you know, give me the proper class for this. And you can override that one base class early on in the system if you wanted to and basically produce all, replace all of the internal classes for vformulate like with one function. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's valuable, and this is this is the area I'd love, love to see start growing out, is you could write a plugin because vformulate supports its own plugin format that would basically let you write an entire theme with one function. Because if you know you could have a tailwind theme for view formulate that's written with one function, and the plugin just overwrites the internal base class or base class function, and then you would basically be able to apply whatever classes you wanted to across the board. And you could, I mean, somebody could offer up you know their own little theme libraries using tailwind to the general populace. And then you could still, because it's the base classes, all of the other methods for overriding classes, like the props and defining classes globally are still available as only overrides. So if you wanted to like install somebody's tailwind theme for view formula, you could do that. And then uh, just modify a few classes here and there and make it work for your particular use case and you'd be, and you'd be off to the races. So far, there's only one default theme that ships with it and it's, you know, a SAS theme and you can come up with your own if you want. And I think most people are going to do that. They're just going to come up with their, you know, every website's designed a little differently. And so they're going to write right. their own styles, but I would love to see like some people start writing, you know, plug-in themes. You just like a one, a one line NPM install and you have a whole different theme for your, uh, all of your form field. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be nice. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. You can definitely see that being a market, if you will, for, for an open source yeah. uh, set of plugins. Yeah, that'd be, uh, that would be, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. So I've got a quick question. Uh, well, maybe not quick. You, you said there are two 
components. There's the the formulate form and then the formulate input. Sure. What is what is the the difference between a formulate form and just a regular form HTML element? I think we've I think we've established that the formulate input is really powerful and has all these additional DOM elements and, and structures and validation. What does yeah. the formulate form do? Yeah, good question. So the form is, it actually does render a form input, but it comes with, it's calling card is that has model binding. And this is another pretty unique thing I think about it is it actually has a genuine V model on the form. So you can say V model on your formulate form, which is the wrapper and then inside you have a bunch of inputs and V model to some local data attribute or I suppose you could use 